When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on gifts at gender reveal parties, answering questions about having a baby in a same-sex relationship, etiquette for editors, and graduation announcements and gifts for grads. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about asking for gift cards at your wedding. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on garden parties from Emily Post Etiquette, the 1922 edition. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And it is a beautiful day. I know. I'm like, let's get this recorded and get our next meetings out of the way and then call it for the day if we can. I love that you're bringing that spirit. I'm so feeling you right now. I'm like, yes. It's It feels like spring and summer came all at once together in the span of about two days. They pretty much like, did. Except I'd say five days. I've been like ripping the plastic off my windows. And yes, I put plastic on my windows in the winter to help save heating costs. And just like all those little spring things that like, I feel like happen usually slowly. It's like they all happened within 24 hours this year. Like mm-hmm. it's, But it has, it's been a gorgeous, gorgeous week. I finally started running outside again which is always a a sign for me of spring and and of like, you know, when you start like waking up earlier naturally just because the sun's up, it's like another sign of spring, I feel like. (laughs) Oh, those long days are so awesome. They really are. They they do confuse the heck out of me, though, because sometimes it'll be that like 637 o'clock hour and I'm like, I'm nowhere near ready for dinner. There's like, you know, it's bright sunshine out. I've got like another hour and a half, two hours of daylight left. <laughs> I have a very similar problem. My version of that is that I, I get home from work and all I want to do is get outside. I want to mow the lawn. I want to get the weed whacker going. I want to put the saw blade on. I want to get the chainsaw. I want to, Pooja calls it land sculpting. <laughs> Instead of scaping, <laughs> you know, you get the the garden cart out on the tractor, and I can get rocks from the stream to make flower beds, and I can take the potting mm-hmm. soil around and plant the bulbs. <laughs> and but it's it really is it's shaping. There's 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 shaping of the ground and of the the trees. It's so much easier to cut limbs and brush before the leaves come well, out. I know mine just popped on the big tree in my yard, and I was like, oh. I missed it. That's the window. Well, <laughs> so I'm feeling all of that. And I've got a couple hours. And I've also got two little girls that are hungry. And they yeah. want dinner. And I just want to stay outside. And we've got this 
I think, classic parent situation where I'm just cajoling them. Let's play outside. Let's go outside. Don't you want to play outside? Isn't that the fun thing to do? And they buy it for a little while, and then it becomes, Dad, I'm hungry. <laughs> in we go at 8, 8.30, but it's still light out. And it is. It's just awesome. Summer summer feels like it arrived. <laughs> Trisha Post had two uh parenting solutions for what she called the witching hour in our household which was five o'clock where it was we kids were like we had enough energy for the day that we were going you know nutso running around and mom was still it's still like a little early for mom to prep dinner for all four of us in my family and so what she would do is she would make and this is still to this day, one of my favorite dishes, a French fry omelet. So you just do oven fries and you could do oven tater tots. I've, I've moved on to that big fan and just a little one egg or, two, you know, big is like a two egg omelet. Little is a one egg omelet. And she would make that up for us. And then she would put on ABBA and Michael Jackson and she called it the five o'clock crazies. And we had to, you, you had to run around as much as you could in any kind of a which way in order to get your crazies out before dinner. Mm-hmm. And so you got like something that had like, you know, the egg had a little protein, the potato had a little carb, maybe mm-hmm. a little cheese added to it for flavor. And, and you just kind of got a little something in your belly but then it was like you've got to move <laughs> and like and that was the mission and I, I have so many fond memories of jumping on couches and things like that during five o'clock crazies it was really a fun a fun little zone for us well like your mother I've learned that if I do a good hearty snack right as yes. we get out of the car and if I get that food in them it buys me some time and then yeah we go get our crazies out outside together, and <laughs> that I can get a little work done while they play on the playset. Well, it is certainly nice to be dreaming about all of the fun things outside of work, but can I share with our audience one really fun thing that is work-related that happened this week? Yes, please. We got our illustrations, our second round of illustrations from our illustrator for the book, and I couldn't be more excited. I got them while I was on a phone call with Dan, and I literally stopped him. I totally was like, oh, cuz, cuz, hang on, can I interrupt you? And you graciously said yes. And I was like, you gotta, gotta go look at your phone and check your email and see these. I think that that Katie has done such a good job on our illustrations. They really are coming out just how I hope they would. And it was so much fun to see them bring life to some of the pages and a look. And it's this book does not have heavy illustration in it. We actually purposefully – we thought originally that we were going to create a heavily designed book. And then as I had gotten into reading the 1922 edition, I actually really wanted to simplify it as much to what Emily had in the original as possible in terms of design and style. And it was a big decision, but I think it was one that paid off. And I just love how these illustrations fit that clean, streamlined 
design set that we've gone after for this particular book. So I'm really, really excited. I'm excited to get them all buttoned up to their next level of perfection and and see them in the book in the actual pages. But I was, I'm like still giddy about it because... Well, it makes me happy every time you're happy about something design, <laughs> color, illustration related. Because I, I tend to play that role in our, our dyad where we receive things and I say, oh, this looks really good. This is good. And I I, I feel like you have that thought, but then you also see the things that you would like improved or changed or a little different. You see tweaks. (laughs) And when you receive something and say, oh, this looks really good to me, I... I have confidence in it. So it was really it was really fun to watch that happen in the moment. <laughs> well, thank you for for your support and supporting my more nitpicky eye. <laughs> um, well, I do think they've gotten better yeah. every time cuz I think it's they have. it's worth they, it. It's yeah. worth the effort, no question. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really have. And I'm so excited about them. So it's really fun to see this book coming together in the last stages of of tweaks and, and adjustments before it heads off to the printers, which I'm very excited about is a US printer. So that's that's very cool. I think that's the first time this book has been printed in the US. But just so excited for the launch of this book and and to be able to tell you all that we are very close to pre-order season. So stay on the lookout. If you haven't yet joined our newsletter, definitely go to emilypost.com and join our newsletter today so that you can get the freshest of fresh announcements about things like pre-order and the book's launch and events for the book and things like that. Um, just go to emilypost.com and you can find the sign up right from the top right corner of our homepage. Lizzie Post, that is a great tease on the pre-orders being almost here. I'm also, like you, very excited for that big announcement. You know what else I'm excited for? What? We've got a show to do. We do. You want to get to some questions? Let's do it. All right. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y, 
W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question on the show. Our first question this week is about gender party protocol. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. My boyfriend's best friend is expecting a new baby at the end of the year, and they're having a gender reveal over the summer. I don't know the expecting mother well enough to be invited to a separate baby shower, so I'm just the plus one to the gender reveal party. But I, of course, want to bring a gift. What would be appropriate in this situation? I don't know if the father is having a diaper party or not, but I don't really feel like a pack of diapers would be appropriate for a gender reveal anyway. I would love to hear any recommendations you have. Thank you in advance. Regards, Caitlin. Caitlin, thank you so much for the question. I know that gender reveal parties are are pretty popular. We don't write about them at Emily Post, but from what I can tell, it's really just a party to reveal the sex of the baby. And sometimes that's a surprise to everybody, including the parents, right? Like when you do the cut the cake or or fire off the confetti thing. Like my friend did a confetti. Hit the pinata. That's another one I've seen. Yeah. So different ways that either the couple can get surprised along with all the guests, or it's just a surprise for the guests and they, they reveal the sex of the baby. To me, that's the point of the party as opposed to a shower where you bring gifts. So my inclination would be to say, if you really feel like you want to bring something, bring a card and some flowers or something like that. But the, the shower is really the time for the gifts and the registry and all of that. I think this is supposed to be a fun thing outside of the world of gift giving. And yet at the same time, I know that we as Americans really love to gift at every opportunity we possibly can, and sometimes when there's no reason at all. So I could also understand if as these parties have become more a part of our culture that they've morphed into uh, something where gifts are are very common, but it's not the same as a registry. So I I don't know. What's been your experience with them, Cuz? Have you attended one? I think you hit the etiquette on this one pretty much right on. Oh, good. The party itself, the whole purpose of it isn't a gift-giving party, so I don't think there's any particular expectation around that. But like you, I've noticed that nothing excites people more than new babies (laughs) when it comes to giving a little something. Well, the clothing is so cute. The toys are so cute. (laughs) It's hard to resist. It is. And I'll tell you, as a parent, it's really nice to to just feel that much attention and excitement for something that's such a big deal in your life. And I I really, like you, want to start from that place of emphasizing that it's not an expectation, that it's not a courtesy that's particularly attached to this party. And it's not at all uncommon for for people to give a little something to expectant parents and to be really excited about doing it and to want to do it and do it well. And in that spirit, I thought I had a couple suggestions for little things. Okay. First, 
I know of a particularly good etiquette book oh. produced by a storied <laughs> institution of etiquette for very young, early readers. There are two books that Cindy Posenning, my mother, wrote, one called Emily's Magic Words and another called Caring and Sharing that are both just lovely, sweet books that um, I think would be nice additions to any library. I can't, I can't get out of a question like this without mentioning them. The other thought that I had was because it's a gender reveal party. If I was going to choose a, a gift, I would either be prepared for a gift that was geared towards a baby of either sex, but even more, I would be thinking about a gift that was effectively gender neutral. And there are a lot of learning games, in particular learning toys, that are appropriate for any child. And this was where I wanted to offer a hot tip that was a fun one in my life. And it's a website called Wicked Uncle. And I have a friend who I've had since the second grade who always gives, he's the godfather of Anisha, and he gives our girls the, and now boy, although the boy hasn't gotten anything yet, <laughs> the best presents. And they're, they're, it's, it's a range. They're, you know, some are less expensive, some are more expensive. They're all geared towards learning. They're all incredibly well made. And it got to the point where we were so excited about the gifts that he would give that they sort of had a special place Aww. each holiday or each new baby, whatever it was. And I finally asked him and he's a bit of a contrarian and he goes to this website called wicked uncle that has, it's all broken down by age for different, uh, for different kinds of toys. And I just couldn't recommend it highly enough. I think you'd find something really cool there. So, Caitlin, while you don't have to actually bring anything to this party, if because you're not invited to the shower, you feel like you want to get at least something to celebrate this late little baby, um, wickeduncle.com, great, great resource, according to Dan. Etiquette books, great resource, according to us, if we do so, so ourselves. And certainly a card or flowers or something similar would be really welcome. We hope you have a lot of fun at the party. Los Angeles County's annual Ladera Park Baby Show gets rolling as 1,000 tiny tots show up in carriages, prams, buggies, and pushcarts, daintily decorated. Come on, look alive. Boy, is mother proud, and boy, is Danny boy ever tired. So a little nipper takes a nip of milk. Our next question is titled, Same Sex Stork Science. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love listening to your podcast. Your voices in my ear have carried me through several sticky situations and have given me confidence in social events. Recently, though, my wife and I have been trying to navigate a certain line of questions from strangers as well as friends and family. My wife and I are both women, and we recently had a baby. Yay! Our daughter is marvelous, and we are so thrilled and lucky to have been able to welcome her into our lives. Science has made some strides, but as everyone knows, we are still not able to make a baby together. And there's a very cute little winky face with the tongue sticking out emoji after that. This is where my question comes in. People, strangers, and people we know ask us rather invasive questions about the how. How she was conceived, who provided the component parts, sperm and egg, etc., while I know this is innocent curiosity, these questions are rather private and are, at their core, only our daughters, my wife's, and my business. People don't ask opposite-sex couples how their babies were conceived, whose egg and sperm was used. People would not know how a couple or a single person become parents unless they were outspoken about fertility difficulties or adoption. 
I think most people would also recognize that this is a sensitive topic and ultimately not their business. We were recently at a pride festival with our child. A member of the community, a stranger, from an older generation was admiring our daughter. She's very cute. And began asking incredibly invasive and rude questions, like whether she was one of our quote-unquote natural child. Did one of us carry her? Are we both on her birth certificate? I know that it was much harder for LGBTQ plus folks to have children in the past, so this person was excited. But we were very uncomfortable. She's our daughter. That's all that matters. However, while we did not want to answer, we didn't want to meet innocent impoliteness with a rude response either. We evaded the questions. Honestly, the questions make me angry, so when I respond, it kind of shows. My go-to response is, try to smile, and then this, in quotes. That is quite private and not information we share. My wife is uncomfortable with this statement. She is a much kinder and more patient person than I. We later started talking about how we needed a response we could keep in our back pocket to draw from quickly when needed, and that both of us were comfortable using to nip questions politely in the bud. I said that we needed to consult with Lizzie and Dan. Do you have a sample script we could use in these situations? Your thoughtful and skillful scripts alleviate a lot of anxiety. Most sincerely, Friends of Storks. Oh, I love that sign-off, <laughs> Friends of Storks. Me too. And thank you so much, Friends of Storks, for your question. And a great big hearty congratulations yeah! on the new arrival. And please pass along our well wishes to the whole family. I always get a little anxiety myself when people ask for sample scripts because I have to share the <laughs> mic with the master of sample scripts. And I, I do. I feel the pressure a little bit to to, to be able Your to keep up. sample scripts are great, cuz. Don't you worry. <laughs> but before we get to that, I, I also um, want to acknowledge the good work that I think you're doing yeah. here. I love that you've internalized that even when you're confronted with a question that's obviously rude, that's obviously about details in your life that are any reasonable person would understand are private mm -hmm. and that your response to that is to have an expectation of yourself that you start off with trying to smile mm -hmm. that you start off with trying to come from a place of understanding and of managing the situation using the things that are in your control and i just want to applaud that effort and just say that i think it's really at the heart of what we try to think of as good etiquette here at Awesome Etiquette. I also understand a little bit your wife's discomfort with the statement, that's quite private and it's not information we share. Mm -hmm. And it's just a minor discomfort. But when that sample script begins with that's quite private, it is in some ways a, 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 a potentially neutral description of your approach to that topic. But there are also tones and interpretations that could have me hear that as a critique of someone asking the question. Yeah, to me it sounds like you're crossing a line. Like like I need to let you know you've stepped over into private territory. Exactly. And and I think that really frankly could be an appropriate response if you were comfortable delivering it to something that is so personal mm -hmm, and private. Mm -hmm. But I think with all of your understanding about the sort of obliviousness that could lead to this or even the good intentions or natural curiosity that could lead to this, that having a sample script that avoids that the potential of that impression completely is is a good idea is worth is worth having as part of your toolbox. Absolutely. Lizzie Post, 
I took a tiny shot at a sample script, and then when I checked the show notes, it was very close to what you had written. And I'm hoping that you can share your slightly better version of it, but I, I think we were thinking very similarly you on this. flatter me, because I was actually, when I read your show notes, I was like, we're totally on the same page. I think that one way to approach this to get into the sample script that you're going to deliver that is going to be that we don't share this information part of it is to sympathize. And I hear that sympathy coming uh, within the story that you've told to us. You've mentioned at one point that, that you recognize that it's innocent impoliteness or natural curiosity. And I think that you can lean into that a little bit. And that also will put the other person at ease to not feel like they just made a giant faux pas, even though they kind of did, but it, it can help uh, to, I think, support the fact that you're aware that people might be curious or interested in the how of how this precious child was created. And I think just giving a, a little bit of lip service to that will help. So I started out with something along the lines of, oh, we totally understand the curiosity on how, you know, our daughter came to be, or we totally understand the curiosity. However, we actually made a decision that our daughter's creation story is hers. So for now, we aren't sharing it. And I've got to say that came like the sample script actually came from I remember when Cameron Diaz, and I, I think she just has one kid now, but they might be trying for a second had a kid uh, later in life and people were, you know, asking, oh, was it surrogacy? Did you use your eggs? Did you, you know, it's that's a lot of personal information being asked. And she just said, you know, our, our daughter's creation story is hers. And when she's old enough, we'll, we'll tell it to her and she can share it with you. And I don't think you have to go that far down the road, but I really liked the idea of moving towards the reminder that that this is private without saying this is private, but saying this story is really one that someone else owns or that we own with and for our daughter and, and we're just not comfortable sharing it yet. And I think that's fine and many people would understand and it doesn't have to feel quite so much like that line of, um, I'm sorry, that's private. You can't come in here, you know, that we were talking about where just simply acknowledging that something's private can kind of kind of make it feel like that hand is up or like someone has already crossed into your private territory and you're trying to push them back out of it. Lizzie, you and I chose, I think, two words to center our sample scripts that were very similar. One was story and one was curious or curiosity. Yeah. And I just had them flipped around. I led with the – that is a story we're waiting for our son, daughter, child to tell. Mm-hmm. And sort of very similarly, where you take the responsibility for that, the the choice mm -hmm. about that private information and give it to the person who it belongs the most immediately to, the child. And obviously, they're not at a place yet where they're going to be making those choices and deciding how to tell it. So it's not available. Mm -hmm. I followed that up with, and I was thinking particularly about um, the sample situation of a pride event where there's a particular type of curiosity yeah yeah and i was wondering if you wanted to engage with that you could follow with something like you, you like you led with if you're curious and want to learn more this is a great resource or there's lots of information available at x y or z so that <laughs> you can acknowledge in some way that that curiosity and maybe even support their interest if, if if it feels genuine to you and you want to point them in a certain direction, but yeah. don't particularly want to share the personal details or the way that you approached it with your family. 
I really like that pivot to here's more information here. And I also like that your pivot wasn't just to, if you want to know more, Google it. Like you can find out tons of information that way. Um, I like the fact that you kept it a bit more pinpointed and gentle and like a, like an encouragement to go find out, you know, how a same sex couple might, might procreate. I think that that's really, that's, that's, I, I like, I like the gentle pivot that you gave there. Cause that too could have, like, you, you could put some edge on that if you wanted to. And I think the way you've structured it, there's lots of information about all the ways that people can handle this at, you know, and list a website, or if you search for it, you'll get a slew of websites that are all great, you know. We um, found such and such very helpful. Yeah. Friends of Storks, before we close this question out, I just really want to praise you and your partner for your good etiquette, your ability to both recognize your own perspectives as valued and something that you want to have uh, self-respect with and that your perspectives on what to say and how you say it might vary even within your couple relationship, but that you're working towards finding something that works for both of you. That in and of itself is great etiquette. There is really great etiquette at play here when you are recognizing the innocence or the natural curiosity of the other person. And even though it's resulting in something that feels offensive and, and like an invasion of your privacy. I love the fact that your goal is to handle that awkward moment in a way that's going to help make both you, your partner, and the other person involved feel more comfortable with what's going on and redirect it to a place. I just think there is so much good etiquette already happening here. And that with, you know, with a sample script or two in your back pocket, that this can easily become something that you you both feel really confident about delivering and that hopefully will really result in the other person both getting it, understanding what line they've just crossed and not feeling terribly bad about having having done so. So not not immediately feeling like they've just made the biggest wrong on earth. And I just think there is a lot of good etiquette at play in here. So thank you so much for bringing us this question, getting a chance to explore it and your perspectives. We really, really appreciate it. This then is the story of reproduction, a story which any parent should fully understand, not only to ensure the arrival of a healthy child, but also to cope with the sensitive minds of children, your children throughout successive stages in their constant search for knowledge. On your answers may well depend the physical and emotional health of future generations. Our next question is delightfully about editing etiquette. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am a member of an online group that includes writers who post on an anonymous amateur writing site. Many of us send our work to one or more fellow members for proofreading before we post on the site. There may be a bit of friendly back and forth in the document about the edits, but the norm is that any suggestion can be accepted or rejected without hurt feelings. I have become online friends with a member, I'll call her Mary, whose work I proofread. Every time I edit, I point out a certain type of punctuation error that she never corrects. She is pointedly ignoring this rule, given that she attends to my other punctuation edits. I'm pretty sure that she simply misunderstands the rule. After editing her last work, 
I did some research to make sure there isn't some sort of regional variation or alternate convention I wasn't aware of. Nope. My dilemma is this. Do I continue editing these errors? If so, I feel the need to add some explanation, since she clearly thinks that she is correct and I am wrong. I have struggled with how to do this. Inserting a link to the rule feels very rude. I have tried to come up with a humorous way to approach this, something like, you're such a punctuation maverick. I know that not all writers are as concerned about errors as I am, but Mary is more meticulous than many. I'm afraid she'll be embarrassed to find out that she has been making this error for so long. But on the other hand, I want her to make an informed decision about whether to flout convention. I know that I am mightily distracted by errors like this when I read others' writing. I have thought about editing this error once more, with a friendly, humorous comment, and then ignoring similar errors in the future. That will be extremely hard for me to do unless I make it clear that I am overlooking these intentionally. I could comment something like, the convention is XXX, but you might want to be unconventional. If so, I'll leave these as they are in the future. Advice? Cheers, Beverly. Oh, Beverly, I feel like I have to get Dan to stop me from having a conversation in this answer that editing, is all etiquette about question. editing etiquette in general, <laughs> because we had such a learning curve, the two of us over the past two years working on the big book. It was the first time, I mean, you, you had read higher etiquette and gave me really great notes on it, but I still felt like the editing editing came pretty hard from Peter and Trisha, my parents on that one. This was the first one where it was like I was really meeting Dan as an editor in our world. It was like a new role and and we had to figure out like how how harsh could you be? How gentle could you be? How hard do you need to be when you have to make a point because you really think you're right and you really think it's not well written the way it is now and and how do you handle the person on the other end who just spent like two months 4,000 words a day writing this thing and put in so much effort like I feel like because you did a really great job jumping in and being an editor on on what I will say is definitely like the 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 heaviest the most important like work i've ever been a part of creating and i think that it was really impressive to see how wonderfully gently you held me <laughs> and then how comfortable you got and i had to ask for some of the gentleness back but it was like <laughs> it was it was a fascinating time for us I, just real quick dan what were your thoughts on on all the editing that we've done and thinking about editing etiquette in general only that it was a, a really big learning process for me, too. As you yeah. pointed out, I was newer to that sort of level of intensity with a writing yeah. project. And I appreciated your patience getting me up to speed and your willingness to sort of push some of those levels higher and lower until we found what worked, what was a good process for this book. And I, I don't think that there are any hard and fast rules, except that yeah. you treat each other with a lot of respect in the process. And in this question, I'm seeing so much of that, an acknowledgement that writing yeah. styles really vary, that there are all kinds of valid reasons to make all kinds of valid choices. And at the same time, that as a good editor, you want to be sure that people understand the choices that they're making and that you're both clear with each other about 
what you're seeing and how you're sharing it. And mm -hmm. that is, it is not easy. I was, I, <laughs> I, I said, I this was a delightful question at the start and I really found it delightful because it is, it's, it's, it's such a personal question and there is so much etiquette involved in how you care yeah. for each other as you do critique and offer feedback. And it's a theme that comes up in our business etiquette trainings a lot mm -hmm. that good colleagues know how to give critical feedback, know how to help someone else get better at something that they want to get better at. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a real skill. So what do you think? What do you, what do you think is going to work in this case? I think that Beverly is really smart to recognize that this is a, a that she's done her background work and she's gone and looked up to see if there are other ways that this particular grammar punctuation rule applies. You know, like some people use the Oxford comma, some people don't. Um, I think it's, it's important to recognize that that due diligence has kind of already happened at this point. And also that this is a, a consistent and repeated error. This isn't just a mistake like this person, the, the Mary's work, that Mary has just like, oops, I didn't catch that one. It's like it's noticeably repeated that this particular punctuation edit does not get accepted. And I think that I would be in a place of suggesting that the best thing to do is to keep making the edit because you've been asked to proofread from your perspective. And I think that's you doing your part to its fullest. And at the same time, I would also think that having noticed so many times that this particular edit does not get accepted, that I would feel comfortable asking, like, hey, I'm just curious. I've noticed that this particular one doesn't get picked up. Is there any reason for that? And that also leads you to be able to either accept her reasoning and not make the correction in the future, if that's what the two of you decide is best, or it lets you more openly communicate the fact that this particular edit doesn't get made and you can also decide whether or not you're going to keep making it with her. Like, do you want me to stop making that correction since it's not one that gets accepted? It might give her a chance to explain to you why she's not accepting that particular edit. And I think that then opens up a potential for you to be able to submit a link to her as a counter suggestion and just say, you know, like, I totally hear your perspective. This is where I was coming from. I was using this particular guide or this particular rule. And that might get you to the place of that link. I'm also going to go out on a limb and just say, I don't think the link is that bad. Caitlin Ketchum included a ton of links in the first round of editing that we got back from her. And they were so useful. I really appreciated them. They helped me understand different perspectives. They helped me um, get at what were really good resources. So sometimes that link sharing isn't always like a... Ha ha, see, I'm right. Like it, it doesn't even come close to having that kind of attitude. It's showing what's supporting, I think, the decision making that's going on during the editing process, which can be really revelatory at times. I had the same two pronged approach did that you? you did. Oh, okay, cool. I love the clarity of I'm supposed to be proofreading. I'm supposed to be proofreading from what I understand to be correct writing as well as. I'm imagining some editorial contribution, although this sounds like more of a proofread read. Yeah. And in particular, because of that, I would stick to what I know. And I would also follow the guideline that was outlined right at the top of the question, which is no hurt feelings yeah. that people can accept or reject. And I would take that to heart as an editor as well or a proofreader. 
and say, I'm going to continue to make this correction because that's the way I understand my job as a proofreader. And it's, it's the correction that I think should be made and not worry about it. If it's just ignored, if that's a correction that someone doesn't make, I can also, for all of the good reasons that you state, wanting to be sure that this person who, who you want to help be the best writer that they can be understands why you continue to suggest it. Or if you want to honor that you recognize that it might be a style choice that they're making, that if you stop making that edit, that you do say something, that you acknowledge that you're doing that so that they don't think they're counting on you to make that kind of proofreading correction. And you've just decided not to make it for a reason that, that they don't understand or aren't aware of. So I would definitely, if I was going to stop making it, do any of the things that Lizzie suggests, send that link, ask to have a, a quick conversation about it. And I don't think that needs to be a high, high stakes conversation. I More think that a curiosity can be a pretty based easy, one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. An easy ask. I, I, I was even imagining calling it cheekily a personal style guide consult recognizing that having gone to style guides to try to get answers to questions before that different publications handle things differently and that some people like Oxford commas and some people don't and <laughs> that you could approach it as a sort of something funny, getting a personal style guide set up between the two of you. Mm -hmm. And and this might be a good place to start that. Beverly, big applause for the awesome work that you and this writing community are doing for one another. I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that you might be willing to write in to tell us what the amateur writing site is. <clears throat> so, some of us on this podcast might be interested in joining. Um, but, Novel in your desk drawer, Lizzie Post. <laughs> Shh, quiet, Dan. <laughs> um, but I really, I really do applaud the work that you're doing, and I think it's really cool and really awesome. And we hope that our advice helps you to continue that awesome work with Mary. There's a lot to think and talk about on the subject of manners, and many good reasons to ask: Are manners important? Our next question is titled Gifts for Grads. Tis the season. Graduations are everywhere right now. Hello, it is graduation season and my husband and I are beginning to receive graduation announcements from his high school friends about their children graduating from high school. My husband and I have been married for five years and together for seven. His friends were invited to our wedding and did attend. That is the only time that I have met these friends, and I have never met their children. Adults-only wedding. His friends were not invited to the engagement party, shower, or bachelor-bachelorette parties. I asked my husband if he has met the children that we received announcements for, and he said he met one when they were little. Each Christmas since the wedding, we send Christmas cards to his high school friends that were invited to our wedding, and we receive Christmas cards from these friends. When we receive an announcement, but not an invitation, to a party or a celebration, do we need to send a card and gift? If yes, is $25 reasonable to send to someone I have never met? Of the announcements we received, two live out of state and the others live about 45 minutes away. The likelihood of me meeting any of these children is very slim, and I'm pretty sure the one that has met my husband does not remember him. Overall, I feel that we do not need to send anything, and if we send something, we will receive announcements from them with a gift expectation for the rest of their children. 
It seems like they sent an announcement to everyone on their Christmas list without even checking to see if their children know the recipient, which I personally do not think is the right thing to do. Admittedly, I am most put off by the fact that one of the announcements was addressed to my husband and another person. They got my name wrong altogether. I know this should not bother me, and I'm confident that they do not know about the mistake, but it does annoy me. Thank you, Hesitant Gift Giver. Ah, Hesitant Gift Giver, thank you for the very timely question as we enter this graduation season. I think it is a perfect opportunity to talk about graduation announcement etiquette and the expectations or that they do or do not need to create in the people that receive them. I feel like Hesitant Gift Giver is going to appreciate everything you're about to say, Dan. <laughs> do you want to give the primer on announcements and their attachment or not to gifts? I'd like to, and I'd like to, like you say, start from just square one, ground zero, because yeah. I think it'll really help with the, the ultimate answer. And the idea behind the graduation announcement is that it is just an announcement. It is something that you are excited about, and it's news that you want to share. And the etiquette advice around announcements is that you are welcome to share that news wide and far. Yeah. You can be excited about that. And it's it really is okay to use that. And I understand how it develops over time. That wedding guest list address spreadsheet becomes the annual Christmas holiday list. New Year's card <laughs> that goes out and then also becomes the easy place. It's loaded up in Vistaprint. It's so easy to create the next one and send it out the place that you do your announcement about a graduation or something else. And one of the reasons that we get to say it's okay to send that announcement broadly is that it really is sent with no expectation, even of a reply. Mm -hmm. It really is just about spreading the news, sharing the news about something that you're really excited about that you think people might want to know. And generally speaking, the response that people have when they receive that is, oh, that's so nice. It's really nice that they let me know. And I think that's the, the spirit that I, I want to put in front of our entire audience around these kinds of announcements. In reality, it often happens that when that announcement is received, someone feels inspired to reply to it in some way. And that is, while not expected, perfectly appropriate and reasonable. And if that's the way you're feeling about it, you can feel good about leaning into that. Many people respond with a card or a little note to the graduate congratulating them. Mm -hmm. If... It's someone that you know a little better or it's something that you really like to do. You're certainly welcome to send a little gift. And I think that a $25 cash gift in a card would make me very excited as a grad. I think that would be a very nice gift and a nice thing to do. But it is by no means an expectation. And particularly if you're feeling like you are a little more distant and that's not something that you're inspired to do. I don't want to give the impression that that's an etiquette expectation or something that that you feel like you should be feeling. It's really just something that if you want to, it's perfectly okay to do. How am I doing, Lizzie Post, on the graduation etiquette, graduation announcement etiquette? I mean, I was getting ready to put down my headphones and walk away to the afternoon already. <laughs> that was a great answer, cuz. I think you've left 
so much room in there for all experiences. And, and that includes hesitant gift givers experience where I just want to really encourage people. It's totally okay if you get an announcement and you aren't inspired to give a gift. I know that sounds grinchy. It's not for exactly not. this reason. <laughs> you don't know these kids other than having seen them like emerge on Christmas cards each year and grow bigger on Christmas cards each year. While it's wonderful that some people feel inspired when in in this type of situation, when they receive that announcement to then send a gift or send a card, you don't have to. It's really okay not to. And we shouldn't feel guilty about that. If you are inspired, great. Go for it. Lean in. But you do not have to when it comes to just this announcement. And I think, Dan, your description of how we end up on these particular send out lists is just so spot on the nose. Like it just it is perfect. It really it's it's exactly how it happens. It's also how sometimes people get left off the list. Like uh, one of your best friends is getting married this summer and already knows you won't be able to attend the wedding. And so my guess is that you're going to be left off that wedding spreadsheet that they've got. And I'll be curious oh. if they have to actually add you to the spreadsheet for the holiday, you know, the, the New Year's or the holiday uh, card that comes out that, at the end of the year. Dan, I don't know if you have anything else, but I'm thinking... And the one last thing I want to encourage is, is yes, don't worry about that name mistake. The best way to correct yeah. it is to send your own card back to them with your correct names. And hopefully they, they pick up on it. They might not. It, it, it's entirely possible that when they sent this particular thing out, as Dan said, it was like a spreadsheet that, that got hit print in Vistaprint or something like that. And therefore they didn't look at the whole list to update it. Um, it could be that you might be, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know your real name and so a fake name to suggest, but you might be fake name for, for quite some time. My mom actually joked about that with a particular person in their social circle. <laughs> she was always Patty and not Patricia or Trisha, and she'd never been Patty anywhere else in her life but here. So I say let let that roll off your back as best you can. Send the notes to them or the Christmas cards to them with your correct name and everything, and hopefully at some point they pick up on the on the blunder if it's terribly offensive and and really doesn't feel good you can let somebody know but that would be a very gentle and very friendly and very politely worded little note back to them just a heads up i'm actually you know andrea not sarah but we do so love hearing from you and hope hope to see many christmas cards in the future and you know send it off but i think that outside of that just let that one go I think that's a, a good way to deal with that issue. And I like the idea of thinking of it and treating it as something separate than the question about how to reply to a graduation card or a graduation announcement. I guess my final thought yeah. on this is really a, a, a conceptual thought. It's a broad thought. And that's that whether you receive that card and you want to send something back or you don't feel good about maybe not wanting to send something back from the perspective that it's really that option, that freedom on your part that allows the person sending it to send it to anybody they want, that you're really playing your role in this case well, whether you decide to or not, that the, the, the deciding or not is the thing that frees someone up to send it to anybody they want. And yeah. that might be just a different way to think about it that makes it feel like not as curmudgeon-y a thing, but as playing your part in the larger etiquette equation. 
Hesitant gift giver, we hope that whatever you decide, this makes you feel less hesitant about your choice. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're digging this awesome etiquette podcast, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including live calls with Dan and myself. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Katie on baby registries. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I wanted to write in with a little bit of feedback from your show with the listener asking about ordering from a baby registry. My daughter is about to turn one, and when we created our registry last year, I was aware beforehand that you could search for XYZ baby name registry on Google, and it would pull up the registry. Because of that, in my mind, I always just considered them public versus specifically for shower guests to browse. Funnily enough, the very first baby gift we received off our registry was from someone who was not invited to a shower. This gift came from one of my husband's friends and his wife and arrived at our door in the mail with a kind note. They gifted us a stroller attachment, which if you are familiar with baby gear is a very generous and useful gift. I did not find it strange at all that they sent us a gift from the registry, even though we had not sent them a link. I actually thought the opposite. To me, it felt like they really cared because they took the time to find the registry and select something that we wanted and needed. It made me feel very loved and like these friends had gone above and beyond to send a gift. Hope this helps give another perspective from someone who was on the receiving end of this question. Thanks, Katie. Katie, thank you so much for the feedback. And yes, it does give great perspective. I'm so glad to hear that people sort of taking that opportunity and going for it really impacted you in a positive way. It's awesome to hear that it landed just right. I tell you, it's a reminder for me, Lizzie Post, I'm often giving the advice in professional context that anything you do online is potentially public and potentially permanent. And it's a great (laughs) reminder that if you approach everything you do online with that spirit, there will be less surprises in your life. That's true. That's true. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today we're going to talk about 
and I just can't believe it. I'm so excited. Garden parties from <laughs> Emily Post 1922 edition of Etiquette. I can't tell you how much I'm wishing that we had something called a garden party in the in the 2022 edition of it at this point. But that that'll be the next version, the 21st edition. So this does come out of Emily Post's 1922 edition. It can be found on pages 174 and 175 for those who like to follow along. And it is indeed titled The Garden Party. And I've got to say the, the, the first two sentences, well, really the second sentence just absolutely puts the biggest smile on my face. So here we go. The Garden Party. The Garden Party is merely an afternoon tea out of doors. It may be as elaborate as a sit-down wedding breakfast or as simple as a miniature strawberry festival. <laughs> Sorry, I just love that. At an elaborate one in the rainy section of our country, a tent or marquee with sides that can be easily drawn up in fine weather and dropped in rain and with a good dancing floor is often put up on the lawn or next to the veranda so that in case of storm, people will not be obliged to go out of doors. The orchestra is placed within or near open sides of the tent so that it can be heard on the lawn and veranda as well as where they are dancing. Or instead of a tea with dancing, if most guests are to be older, there may be a concert or other form of professional entertainment. On the lawn, there are usually several huge, bright-colored umbrella tents, and under each a table and a group of chairs, and here and there numerous small tables and chairs. For, although the afternoon tea is always put in the dining room, footmen or maids carry varieties of food out on large trays to the lawn, and the guests hold plates on their knees and stand glasses on tables nearby. At a garden party, the food is often much more prodigal than at a tea in town. Sometimes it is as elaborate as a wedding reception. In addition to hot tea and chocolate, there is either iced coffee or a very melted cafe parfait or frosted chocolate in cups. There are also pitchers of various drinks that have rather mysterious ingredients, but are all very much iced and embellished with crushed fruits and mint leaves. There are often berries with cream, especially in strawberry season, on an estate that prides itself on those of its own growing, as well as the inevitable array of fancy sandwiches and cakes. At teas and musicales and all entertainments where the host herself is obliged to stand at the door, her husband or a daughter, if the hostess is old enough and lucky enough to have one, or else a sister or a very close friend should look after the guests to see that any who are strangers are not helplessly wandering about alone and that elderly ladies are given seats if there is to be a performance or to show any other courtesies that devolve upon a hostess. I just love the mini strawberry festival. It had me it had me from miniature strawberry and festival. <laughs> I was all ready to say I love gardens, I love parties, but then I started hearing the strawberry festival stuff and I said, I love strawberry festivals. <laughs> It is. We are we are about to be in that season here in Vermont. It's going to be so, so delicious. I picture many a pinkened finger. But I, I love this description of outdoor entertaining 
of course, few of us have verandas, and I'm I'm not sure I know any friends who would hire an orchestra for their garden party. You know, most are gonna are gonna put something on the old speaker and aim it aim it out towards the backyard. But I think that it it did set such a wonderful reminder of outdoor entertaining, of creating space that is quasi nature, quasi curated, but that altogether creates a wonderful environment to be in. And I love the addition at the end that as the host, you're supposed to really be in that greeting position and your sort of co-host or, or second in command uh, should be there to help any guests. And I love the note, especially for the, the guests who might be strangers and might not have anyone to talk to, because that gets so right into the heart of hospitality of making your guests feel comfortable and not just assuming that they're going to completely take care of themselves. Lizzie Post, I would not sell yourself short. While you might not have an orchestra, I could totally see you with some musicians stationed <laughs> appropriately about the property here or there. Um, <laughs> Buddies with guitars. <laughs> probably more likely maybe a harpist here or there for the right occasion. Oh, I wish. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> Oh, that is a that is a fun read, Lizzie Post. Thank you for finding it for us. And what a great way to start a summer day like this, heading home to do some land sculpting. We hope this inspires all of you to whether it is your own backyard, an immaculate estate that you have access to, or the local park that you get outside and do some entertaining in the great outdoors. A tea is only a formal way of entertaining and showing respect to others. Etiquette itself is simply the way one polite person shows consideration for another. June's share of preparing for the tea is the making out of invitations. But she is running into problems and would welcome a little help. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Jessica. Hi, it was my daughter's first birthday party, and I ordered a cake from a local grocery store on their website. When I went to pick up the cake on the morning of the party, I discovered that they had completely gotten it wrong. Wrong color, wrong decoration, wrong cake type, all of it. They were very apologetic and didn't charge me for the cake, but I was so incredibly disappointed that I was in tears. Luckily, my awesome husband called another grocery store to see if they could help with a replacement cake when the first store said there was nothing that they could do. And the second store said that they could help. He immediately drove to the second store and told the cake decorator the situation. She told him that she could bake and decorate the cake the way we wanted it by 2 p.m. that day. When my husband drove back to the store that afternoon, he found the cake was perfect. He tried to leave the cake decorator a generous tip and she wouldn't take it, instead suggesting that he go buy your wife some flowers. So this etiquette salute goes out to Lila, the cake decorator at the QFC on Bothell Everett Highway in Bothell, Washington. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It may have been a small thing for her to do, but she absolutely saved my baby's first birthday, and I am so eternally grateful. Jessica. 
Jessica, thank you so much for the salute. And I'm so happy that the first birthday party went well. I know it's a big deal, both for kids and for parents. Thank you so much for submitting this salute, Jessica. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're both Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a member of the Awesome Etiquette community on Patreon. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.